Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, we're going to come now to the reading of God's Word, and Jean Williamson is going to come up and read to us from Psalm 119. Just a moment to say to you that now we have the pews in place. You'll also see that you have Bibles in front of you. I encourage you to pick them up. And uh, find the reference there if you'd like to, or on your phone, or elsewhere. The reading will also be on the screen, but for when we come to the sermon, sometimes it's useful to, to have that open in front of you. If you are picking up your Bibles, you'll find where we're going on page 624. Jean. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. This is the word of the Lord. While we're there, um, I'd love to share a second reading with you this morning from 2 Timothy, and this is on page 1207 of your church Bibles, 2 Timothy 3, uh, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's servant may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What good is the Bible? What good is the Bible? If I asked you that question, or a friend asked you that question, how would you respond? George uh, Wishart, the Bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century, was condemned to death for his faith. But when he was on the scaffold, he made use of a custom 
that allowed the condemned person to choose one psalm to be sung before the execution. And knowing his Bible very well, he chose by far the longest chapter in the book, Psalm 119, all 176 verses of it. Before two-thirds of the psalm had been sung, his pardon had arrived and his life was spared. And so in a perhaps somewhat unexpected way, George Wishart provided generations of preachers with the perfect illustration of the now undeniable fact. The Bible can save your life. I hope at least a few of us here are in agreement that actually there's a lot more to it than that. The Bible can save your life in many other ways. It is a book of extraordinary status. I guess we all know that. It is out now the world's bestseller forever. Estimated between five and seven billion copies have been printed in the roughly 1,500 years since it was standardized. But at the same time, even though it has never been more readily available, it is a closed book for many people, even to some Christians. And even amongst those who know it well, which of us doesn't have moments where we wonder, how do we approach it right? What are we supposed to do with it, even as we experience its blessings? So it is really worth asking, wherever we are in our journey of faith, what good is the Bible? How does it work? What, what has God intended for us through it? Well, those are some of the questions that we're going to be addressing in the coming weeks in this opening sermon series of the year based on the very same psalm that saved George Wishart's life, Psalm 119. And the reason for that is because if the people who were there had ears to hear, they were probably concentrating on other things. If they'd been listening to the psalm, they would have heard uh, an amazing meditation on the Word of God. All 176 verses, really, are about God's Word. And I can thoroughly recommend you going from reading it from beginning to end. Don't worry, we're not going to do so in church for the sake of our lunchtimes collectively. But it is fantastic stuff. We are going to spend the next four weeks just looking at some snapshots, looking at four recurring themes that are there throughout it. The Bible as revelation and guidance. The Bible as assurance, the Bible as spiritual delight, and the Bible as commands to obey. And whether you're really familiar with it or, or whether you've built your, your life on it entirely, whether you know next to nothing about it, I, I hope wherever you are on that spectrum, you'll find these, this time really encouraging. It'll give you a new anchor in, in, in the word of God that he has given to us. But before we explore our, our first theme, the Bible as revelation and guidance, I just want to momentarily take you back across the centuries, as it were, to the moment when these verses of Psalm 119 were penned. Now, as we were listening to those verses read, you may have wondered, what's the connection, what's the logic between them? They're, they're quite evocative, Psalm uh, um, 119, full of poetry, but they do sort of dot all over the place. Well, here's the answer to that question. Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem, which if you think back to your school days, probably all of us had to do this at one stage. You, the poem is structured around first letters. And each section of the poem goes with a different first letter. 
And now, our section that we started today, it starts at verse 105, and our writer has just finished the M's, okay? So he's gone and got a drink and a Jaffa cake, and he's sat down, next section, ends. And he's going, what is God's word, okay? And then suddenly he has this eureka moment, I've got it, I've got it. If you played Boggle or kind of Scrabble or Bananagrams over the break, you know the moment. That's that kind of mindset. What N captures God's word? And he says, yes, that's it. That's it. When I think about the Bible, when I think about God's word at his stage, that would have probably been the first five books of the Bible and some other prophets and historical writings. When I think about it, I think about a light, ner, beginning with N, light in Hebrew, ner regali, the, the light of my foot. Okay, and so he writes, a lamp for the first line of the section, N section, a lamp to my feet is your word. Or as we translate it, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light in my path. Now I've got just two points that I'd love to sort of frame what we're, we're saying today under. We're going to start with the subject, and it's so obvious here that we miss it. The subject of this whole psalm is God's word. God's word, which is a very familiar phrase, but as soon as you think about it for a very short time, it is an absolutely extraordinary one because it brings together two utterly different things, the divine and the human. You've got a word. A word in Hebrew, just as it is in English, it could be, you know, a collection of single unspaced letters, you know, like you'd find in a dictionary entry. Uh, It could be a whole message. That's on the one hand. And that's a a supremely human thing, isn't it? An essentially human thing. Words, language, that's what sets us apart as humans in nature. They represent our ability to communicate. And, of course, the whole thing with words, if they're any good, we, we choose to use them, it's because they're, they, they really connect with us. They make sense to us. They're things that we understand. They are deliberately tuned into our human mind, words. But the psalm says, and he's speaking to God at this stage, he says, it's your word. So the word that he's speaking about is from God. The one whose existence extends so far beyond the realm of our understanding and our sight. The one who created the stars and the galaxies, who knows the end of history from its beginning, he has somehow shrunk his counsel down into these little human bites to make himself known. So so here, well, this is an extraordinary thing. Here is something from God, of God, to us, that we can grasp. It is God's word. And that in itself, just that, that there is a word of God, that tells us an enormous amount. It tells us about the character of God, for example. It tells us that God wants to illuminate. He wants to reveal himself. And the way that he does that is bound to human language. He, he uses directly our words. And human though they are, they are his in the process. And he chooses to use reports and records and copies of those records to communicate. That's how the psalmist would have accessed God's word at that time. 
to continue that communication. So it is throughout the Bible. So 2 Timothy 3.16 that I just read puts it like this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that makes this word incredibly precious. Right now, European and uh, Chinese scientists are working on a solution to recover information from a rover, the Chinese Zhurong rover on Mars. This is a European satellite that goes round. And they're taking huge care, massive amounts of investment, just to harvest tiny snippets of data off that planet so far away. Well, we as Christians, we too have data. We have much more than that, much more than information. We have a love letter written at epic cosmic distance from us by our creator. And it's incredibly precious. And exceptionally, in in the last 2,000 years of Christian history, we all have constant, immediate, free access to it if we want it. How valuable is that? How precious is that? It's hard to understand sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we're helped looking at at the history of God's people to get it in perspective. I was reminded this week of the work of the Bible translator, William Tyndale. Um, He he was here in this country in the 1500s. Um, Europe was was Christian, but largely unaware of the Bible. And the Greek New Testament had only just been printed. Erasmus had got the printing press going with that. And Tyndale got hold of this, this Greek New Testament. He read it avidly, and he immersed himself in it. And his mind was radically changed about all sorts of things, because now he knew what God's word said. The church of his day hadn't made God's word Uh, accessible. No one knew the scriptures as a result. No one knew the beauty of the gospel. It was hidden from people. But he was discovering it, and he wanted to share it. On one occasion, he, he famously said to another clergyman, he said, if God should spare my life for many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. And four years later, 1526, he had finished the English translation of the the New Testament. Never been an English translation accessible before. But he had to flee in order to do it. He had to stay in Germany. And so valuable was he convinced that it was that he started a contraband. And he would take leaves of the Bible and wrap them in bales of cloth because he worked in Gloucestershire with with, with, um, cloth merchants. So he knew to do that to get these scriptures back into his country, and he was later executed as a heretic for what he had done. But isn't that amazing? That's how precious he knew this word was. He discovered it to be for himself, and he knew it could be for every person. Of course, the the whole idea of a word of God raises many, many questions for us too, though, doesn't it? It's a very powerful claim. A claim of authority. And just because the psalmist says it is God's word, that doesn't make it God's word. When we trust the Bible, we are inevitably putting all other authorities under it, whether they be private opinions or popular opinions. And we've got to ask the question, well, is that the right thing to do? Now, we could speak about this for a long time. I'm not going to do that. But I think the easiest thing, the simplest thing I would encourage you to think through is 
Look at how Christ speaks of the Bible. If you're wondering how to treat it, look at him. He is verifiable. He is the one we trust. And we trust him on the strength of his, his resurrection, his miracles. He spoke about the Bible as the word of God. That meant, for him, it was, as he put it, unbreakable. He said, if you, if you don't know the scriptures, you miss out on the power of God. He said, if you relax one of the least of its commandments, you make yourself least in the kingdom of, of God. And many other things about that. So we look to Christ for our lead on how we think about it, even as we try to navigate all the tricky questions that there are. And know that none of that is to deny that it has both human authors. It is also a human word. It's, it's cultural and historical situation. The intentions of the people who wrote it, they matter. And we want to think about them carefully as we interpret it. But still, it is God's word. So perhaps I can ask you before uh, we move on to the next point, how do you see the scriptures? Uh, and I guess when I ask that question, I don't mean it so much theoretically as in, you know, which words would you use to describe them? But if, if someone came to observe you, you know, David Attenborough kind of style, you know, here's an interesting quickie and see how they start to behave as they pick up the word. Uh, what would that person observe about you and me as they watched us handle it? How would they describe our attitude to it? If they stood back from our lives, would they identify that our lives were shaped by this word? Actually, let's, let's sharpen that even more. If this is God's word, and our attitude to God cannot be separated from his word, if someone to read were to read my relationship with God through how I treat this word, what would they conclude about what kind of a relationship I have to him? It's God's word. And second, it's God's word. Second, it shows the way. It shows the way. There's that verse again. Um, I hope it's really landing with you this morning. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light on my path. I feel like I have a new sense of, of the meaning of this verse. Not quite on the level of darkness um, in, in Ethiopia. But we, we went for a walk uh, on the beach over the break. Um, and there were six of us and a dog. And there was only one of us holding the light. Uh, which in our case was, was a phone torch. And we, we quickly discovered that if the phone carrier went first. They were alright. They could see where they were going. But everyone else behind them was stumbling around in the dark. And that ended up being pretty perilous because you put your foot down somewhere you think ground is and it isn't there or it gets there rather earlier. All of us needed our terrain to be illuminated. And that's the idea here. That's how God's word works. The Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon put it like this. It's a bit old-fashioned, but bear with me. It's great. We should not know the way or how to walk in it if Scripture like a blazing flambeau, did not reveal it. One of the most practical benefits of holy writ, he means scripture, is guidance in the acts of daily life. It is not sent to astound us with its brilliance, but to guide us by its instruction. It is true the head needs illumination, but even more the feet need direction, else head and feet may both fall into a ditch. Happy is the man who personally appropriates God wor God's word, 
and practically uses it as his comfort and counselor, a lamp to his own feet. I love how Spurgeon brings out all sorts of important aspects. One of them is is that personal aspect. The word of God is a lamp to my feet. The psalmist knows the word is precious, not just for the sake of abstract ideas, but for, for his life, including his eternal future, his personal. Then there's also that sense of wisdom that comes through. You know, there are so many decisions in life, aren't there? And some of them are very clearly moral decisions, and the Bible can help us what's right and what's wrong. But um, there are a lot of decisions that aren't like that. They're not plainly right or wrong. So say I'm looking for a job, and you know I'm wondering whether I should sell photocopiers or build telegraph poles or retrain as a fitness pr- professional or something like that, you know, obvious choice. Um, well, the Bible isn't going to explain that, the answer to me. Right? There are crazies out there who will say that you, know, you have to read the second letter in the third column of every other page, and if you haven't, you've got to look at the first you know, letter of the job that you're supposed to do. I don't think that's how God's word works. But, but there is guidance. If I am soaked in God's word, it will help me see with more clarity what exactly is this decision that I'm taking. Let's just say one of them pays really, really a whole load better than all the others. Well, it might be the right job to take. Then again, if I know my scriptures well, I, I might just think, oh, yeah, the, the love of money is, is quite an issue. Um, and it might lead me in the wrong direction. So it may still be the right job to take, but I'm going to just ask myself a couple of questions because I've probably got a battle on, on my hands just going straight after the money. Even if it's the right decision, ultimately. You see, the scriptures changes how you think about a decision. When we really dwell in the Bible, it begins to shape our values. And and what matters to us gets closer to the things that matter to God. And the things that don't really matter so much to God sort of slightly ease out of focus. And so there's so much wisdom to be found. So it's personal. There's wisdom. And finally, there's there's that sense of the supernatural. The sense of the supernatural. I wonder if you've had that experience of finding its God's light shining through the pages of Scripture. The writer to the Hebrews, he picked, picked another image. He said, he said, put it like this. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So it's not just a reference manual. It's not some kind of ancient fossil, which is beautiful, but kind of frozen in time. It's alive. Uh, And those of us who've been believers for some time, I hope we've all felt those moments when God just powerfully, through his word, shows us the way. It leaps out at us. You know, when you're you're reading along and and the Spirit suddenly carries the message from the page into your heart, and, and you have supernatural comfort. You find a supernatural conviction of sin. You know, perhaps suddenly you're like, oh, I really see how I'm losing my way right now. Thank you, Lord. Or, or perhaps we, we find supernatural insight. Just the thought that we needed for that moment. It's supernatural because it's from God. Now, there's so much more that we could say, but that'll do for now. It shows us the way. Let me end with a word of encouragement. We've got a couple of weeks thinking about God's word um, this year. We've got our 
um, verse for the year. We've got some opportunities during Lent to get going with personal devotion and reading the scriptures. I, I really hope this next period of time will be an opportunity for all of us, wherever we are in our relationship to God's word, to deepen it and through it to deepen our relationship with God. I would love for us all, and please encourage me to do the same, to become miners of the Word of God. Just so intent on finding the gems in it. People who dwell richly, as the the Apostle puts it, dwell richly in the Scriptures. They kind of pervade our whole lives and our whole thinking. And not just for us individually, but for all of us. That that would be true of our small groups and our uh, relationships with one another. And also, of course, for us all as a church. Because it is God's word and it shows the way. We're going to conclude this time with a, a hymn now, which expresses that truth so wonderfully and beautifully that the word is powerful in making us wise for salvation. But just before we do that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you long to share your mind with us. Lord, we pray so much that we would know it to be a living word that shows us the way. Lord, we pray, show us the way through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you.